Hi, everyone. Here's my disclaimer. The information in this interview may not represent the views of the station or the host. Please discuss any information with your primary care physician. Hi, everyone. This is Betsy Wurzel, your host of Chatting with Betsy on Passionate World Talk Radio, where our mantra is to educate, enlighten, and entertain. Folks, I know I say this every time because I do have phenomenal guests. And today is a very exceptional guest, in in my opinion. I always wanted to talk to someone who did research on young caregivers. What do they face? What's the after effects of caregiving? What are they experiencing during caregiving? And, folks, I have said this on my videos that I used to do in my car. I have said this in my group. I've said this on the show, and I'm going to still say it. Our children are the hidden victims of this war on Alzheimer's. Make no mistake about it. We as adults, think of how we feel, our anxiety, our stress. Well, think how it would be for a young child. Think how it would be for a teenager, a young adult. And this is why I'm so glad I was introduced to Dr. Failing Lewis, who herself is a caregiver, was a young caregiver, still caregiving for her mom. She did a research. Dr. Failing Lewis has a PhD. She is an assistant dean of student affairs at Vanderbilt University School of Nursing. She has written several publications on this subject of young caregivers. And actually one of them was in Teen Vogue, which is youth caregivers, black and brown young people cared for relatives during COVID. And um, I, we're going to give the website. I highly, highly recommend you go on Dr. Failing Lewis's website and read these articles. And if you have a young caregiver in your family and you know of a young caregiver, please share the website. Share this information. And I want to welcome Dr. Failing Lewis to Chatting with Betsy. Thank you so much, Betsy. It's a real honor and privilege to be with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And it is my honor and privilege to have you on. I'm so excited. Dr. Fabian Lewis, your story touched me and still touches me so deeply because you were a young caregiver at a young age for your mom. Could you please tell the audience how you became a young caregiver? Yeah, you're right. I was 11 years old, so I was a child when my mother was diagnosed with degenerative disc disease, and she was having what would be considered a routine surgery for that condition, only meant to be home, uh, only meant to be in the hospital, I should say, over a weekend, and then released. But the surgery, unfortunately, was performed incorrectly, and bones from her spine were taken out that should not have, and that left my mother in the hospital and then in rehab for weeks, having to relearn how to walk. So I was 11 at the time, and I have an older brother named Farrell. He's seven years older than me, 
And he was entering to his sophomore year at college, so he wasn't living with us at the time. And he came home that weekend uh, just to be there for the weekend because my mother was having the surgery. And he ended up staying home indefinitely because the surgery was performed incorrectly. So that began our caregiving story and journey for me as a child and then for my brother as a young adult. Uh, he was about to be 19 years old. And it was just really catastrophic in terms of the uh, impact for our family. You know, to this day, I am appalled that my mother, who was a registered nurse herself, um, was discharged from that, um, from the surgeon from rehab, home to an 11-year-old child, to me, a child, because my brother did not live with us because he was away at college. So... Um, it's so concerning to me that we fell into that youth caregiving role because there was no one else. We did not have home health assistants or nurses coming into our home, no occupational physical therapists, no social workers. It was just me and my brother caring for our mother. And that, that is, is really... Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's like so dangerous. Um, and I'm very yeah. sorry your mother's operation got uh, botched up. That's really um, sad. Mm-hmm. But you would yeah. think social service would know that you're 11, that your brother's not mm-hmm. there, and to have someone. I mean, that's um, that's awful, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Dr. Failing. I can't help myself. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, even to this day, I just think, how is that allowed to happen? I was a child at home, and she was discharged. So, um, so yes, yeah, so what she then required at home um, in terms of her care, so for me, I'm, that meant I helped with her wound care, um, her intimate care, like uh, helping her shower and bathe and helping her get dressed, um, mobility aids. So as I mentioned, she had to relearn how to walk, so helping her with that cooking, cleaning, and my brother, who I really owe all of the work that I do is dedicated to him, and I see it as a legacy really for my brother. Um, He dropped out of college. Um, He was studying mechanical engineering, dropped out of college, and got a full-time job to take on our mortgage and all of our household bills, taking me to school, and his whole life as a young adult was upended um, because he, he made that sacrificial choice to come home and take care of us. And so that was a, the act of caregiving is something that has continued in various capacities um, since then, so over 20-something years ago. I sure hope things have changed since then, Dr. Failing, because I would think, uh, and maybe I'm wrong, I would think it would be illegal in a way to have someone discharged without an adult in the house. I mean, 11-year-old child, that's mm-hmm. almost like child endangerment, really, because mm-hmm. you're left up, you know, um, alone with your mom who needs help. Like, how does an 11-year-old even know where to begin? You know, yeah, I mean, exactly. I, was still, mm-hmm. I was still playing with dolls when I was 11, um, I think that's I way back. <laughs> that's way back, folks. I grew up in the '60s uh, <laughs> um, when we still play with dolls. 
Um, you know, it, it's just, to me, it was endangering your mom and, and mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like social service didn't even get involved. It's just so mind-blowing to me. Um, mm-hmm. The discharge planner, although, you know, years ago it isn't like now. I know now when someone gets discharged, there's a nurse manager, there's a social worker involved. You didn't have any of that when I guess when your mom was discharged. No, we didn't. No, um, absolutely, absolutely none of that had happened or took place for us. And unfortunately, you know, as I now as I do research and I have the opportunity to speak with children and young adults with caregiving roles, I know that even to this day, me and my brother were not alone in that. Families. Family members, loved ones being discharged to go home to the children, young adults that are there and in the home. And so that is really how children can fall into caregiving roles because they're just, you know, that the, the sick person is sent back home. And unfortunately, um, then it just becomes this, this cycle where it's really um, inescapable, um, I think, for children and, and young adults, where um, they're the only ones who are there who are available uh, to care, and there's just really no other option. And, of course, we know that we do this as youth caregivers. We do it out of love and devotion to our family or, or our loved ones, um, but it also, in many cases, is simply because there's no other adult around. Yes, yes, I can definitely uh, understand that, and especially, uh, and you did an article about it, um, during the pandemic, there were probably thousands of young caregivers taking care of their parents or grandparents at, at home. Uh, and and put into that situation, um, I'll tell you, I admire you, Dr. Failing Lewis, because you, I say, survived um, your caregiving as a youth, a young person, and you went on to college, and you're this, do this wonderful research in in helping other uh, young caregivers and making people aware of what young caregivers go through. So I really tip my hat to you. I really admire uh, you for going through what you went through and you came out on the other side. Thank you, Betsy. Your words mean so much. Um, But really, for me, I, I, I guess, transitioned that gratitude to my brother. If it was not for him and the sacrifices that he made, that choice he made, because he could have just stayed at college and enjoyed his life and stayed on track. He made that choice to come home. And really, I'd say, shielded me from more of the more burdensome sides of when caregiving um, happens with children um, that I see in my research. So, you know, his act of caregiving allowed me to go on to college, allowed me to go on to study. So I'm so grateful for that. And so I really consider it my life's work to make sure that I can do everything in my power now that I have, you know, I've gone abroad, I've studied, I've seen the other models and interventions um, for youth caregivers that are in other countries. It's now my life's mission to bring that back here to the U.S., back home, 
and create real substantial change for other children, adolescents, and young adults with caregiving responsibilities. I don't want any other child to go through the isolation, the fear that I went through as a child, and then for my brother as a young adult, having your life completely thrown off the track that you had for yourself. Um, I don't want to see that happen. I want to mitigate that. Um, through research, through policy, through supportive programs. So that's really what I hope to do. I hope that I can start the momentum. I'm so grateful for people, advocates like yourself, who are willing to and champion um, younger age caregivers because we're out there in the millions in the U.S., um, but yet without support and recognition. Yes, yes, that is um, so true. Now, did your brother eventually go back to college? He did, yes, which we were so proud of him for. Uh, he went back, um, now that I, now that it's the pandemic years, I have to remember I have to count those years too, so probably almost a decade <laughs> yes. ago. <laughs> yes, I have <laughs> pandemic brain. It's been a blur the last two years. So, yeah, I think I'll I understand. Yes. <laughs> he graduated. We had a write-up in our local paper about him, Um and, you know, all that he accomplished, because we were just so proud. Um, but yet, you know, that was such a, that was a real um, hit for him, you know, really getting him off track from the dreams and aspirations he had for himself to, to do mechanical engineering. So, um, you know, and I know my brother um, would say he did it because, you know, he loved us um, and loved our mother and loved me, um, but it had such an impact to his life and had such an impact to my life. So... Um, I'm just really grateful for any opportunity like today where I can amplify the experiences of youth caregivers because everyone knows one. They may not know. <laughs> they may not know that they know one. But if you have a family member with a disability or a, a chronic health condition or a sudden accident and there's a child in that home, oh, you're likely going to have some experiences with youth caregiving. Yes. and. It- Dr. Phelan, you brought out uh, some really good points. I'm so glad your brother was able to go back to college. Um, That's wonderful. And kudos to your brother for doing what he did to help you and and your mom. And see, this is what I've been saying um, throughout the years. The younger the parent who gets disabled or who has some kind of dementia, the younger the child is going to be. Are these young kids going to give up time like your brother did to to care for their siblings at home if there are any, to care for their parents? This is going to be facing a huge uh, situation is going to be coming up because people are getting diagnosed, as you know, Dr. Failing younger and younger with some kind mm-hmm. of dementia. Mm-hmm. And so the child is going to be younger. Uh, my son was 15 or 16 when we moved in with my uh, mother-in-law, who Mm -hmm. we didn't know at the time had Alzheimer's. And so he got the full Monty (laughs) of um, (laughs) first his grandma, excuse me, (coughs) and then Josh was 25 or 26 when his dad was diagnosed. And Josh said, now I'm the parent. Now um, Mm I'm taking care Mm -hmm. of daddy. And, I mean, Mm -hmm. Josh was proud. He was proud to be a caregiver. Mm -hmm. And he, Mm -hmm. um, 
enjoyed it. He actually, someone bought him a T-shirt that said, Cure giving is my superpower. What's yours? Uh, he was. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, he was really um, proud. And, you know, I think, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen it in, in your studies, and I'd like to talk about your, your research. Mm-hmm. Children can learn life valuable lessons mm-hmm. depending mm-hmm. on the role model that their parent or guardian is, is showing. I mean, Josh is compassionate has empathy. We could mm-hmm. teach our children yeah. this. Um, and I, I also, I've encouraged people, you know, if you know a, a young person who's a caregiver, take them out, take them to a movie or give them a gift card, take them out for ice cream if they can have it, um, and show some kindness, include them in an activity. And as far as parents, I encouraged Josh to go out and have a good time. He mm-hmm. went out every week. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's right, and because I'm a parent, I could say this, <laughs> I don't think it's right <laughs> for a parent to tell a child they can't go out because they have to take care of their parent uh, or their grandma. Make sure your child can go out and have fun and communicate to you how they feel without judgment. Excuse me. (laughs) And I let Josh communicate and vent. When he said, I hate Alzheimer's, I hate changing daddy's diaper, I'd say, "Uh, I understand, Josh. I hate it too. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay to say that. Um, And how do you feel about that, Dr. Failing? about children going out and having a good time and being able to vent. Yes, I'm so happy to hear that you supported your son, Josh, to be able to do that because that is so important. Um, You know, with my research, when I've gotten to talk to children and young adults, but then also their parents or their family member that they're caring for, what I also hear is that the cared for person wants the child, that adolescent, that young adult, to live their life. They want them to have fun. They want them to thrive. So I'm really careful to make sure in our conversations not to problematize uh, the disabled person or the sick person um, because really we're all in it together here. Um, so I love that you were able to support your son and him continuing to enjoy his life um, because I think that's so important. I think that is what, you know, when we start talking about self-care and resilience and preserving your own mental health through a caregiving experience or a journey like that, it's important that we allow children to uh, really pursue leisure time, you know, to relax, to be with their friends, um, to be able to pursue their hobbies. You know, that helps them become um, certainly more well-rounded individuals, but also just as we say the phrase, let your hair down, you know, when they, I, I, I truly be from what I've seen in my research, they harbor so much responsibility and stress and fear and anxiety and so many different emotions about what's going on in their family. If they have an outlet, if they have a moment where they get to breathe, have it where they don't need to be responsible for anything, where they can just have fun, that is so, so important. Um, because 
you know, so much of my work looks at mental health um, of youth caregivers. And the impacts, I wish I could tell you, Betsy, um, in terms of mental health are positive. Unfortunately, they have not been. It's overwhelmingly, you know, I see children of depression, anxiety, um, self-harm, you know, thoughts of harm to themselves in direct association with their caregiving role. These children are under so much stress, but without outlets, without someone they can vent to, without someone trusted who understands. And I also love what you said about really wanting to foster open communication within a family. And, you know, even from my own experience, that is a real challenge to do because I think from the perspective of the child, um, you don't want to offend or hurt the feelings of the cared for person. So there's a lot of guilt that I've seen in my research that children may feel. You know, they don't want to, though some may not want to express that they want to go away to, to college or that they don't want to care give anymore or that something's too difficult or hard for them because they don't want to hurt the person that they, that they love. Um, so those conversations can be very difficult to navigate. Um, and if we as adults can give children more of a safe space to have those conversations, to be able to disclose their authentic feelings, that's what we can do. You know, that's really the onus is on us. And it may not be with us. You know, I'm also trained as a therapist. So I really say what would have helped me and my brother most of all uh, would have been someone to talk to. We needed another trusted adult that we could vent to, that we could get out of the emotion, the very complex emotions that we were dealing with. That's what we need. And that's what I see when I do qualitative research of children. I ask them questions and I interview them about their experience. They always say they want more fun time, they want money, and then they want someone they can talk to. Those are the big three things I always hear. That is very important. And I'm glad you brought that out, Dr. Feely, because I was going to say about going for counseling uh, or, you know, to see a therapist uh, to encourage that um, with your children. Um, Josh didn't want to go, but I had offered uh, to take him. And because it, it, it is sometimes, I mean, I went for therapy myself. Sometimes you just need someone who's not mm-hmm. in that situation and just um, help you. And, and that's why I tell people, you know, if we as adults need to go to a counselor and we need to vent. Then our children need to vent also. And I was going to ask you about their mental health because, you know, like down the line, does this stress? And anxiety affect them later on in life. And, you know, Mm -hmm. children, as you know, Dr. Faley, have, you know, problems to begin with in social media. Suicide is on the rise. Do you find suicide higher among young caregivers versus non-caregivers? Yes. Uh, So unfortunately, Betsy, um, that's actually the significant finding that we just saw in our latest piece of research with the six-country European study with adolescents uh, who are caregivers, what we were looking at with mental health, is that so many were reporting suicidal ideation, so thoughts about uh, hurting or killing themselves and association with the stressors 
from their caregiving role. Um, and a much smaller um, percentage also expressed and reported that they had thoughts of harm to others and even the care recipient in connection to the stress of their caregiving role. And I say that I, I don't want to be I don't want to be an alarmist or sensationalize that data that we found um, because again I think that those are very small numbers in terms of the thoughts of harm to others. But I think it really shows and indicates the magnitude, the just the impact on the mental health of these youth caregivers. And that's what I think is the major takeaway and what's concerning for us as researchers and professionals and advocates. Um, so certainly um, the, we, we would associate the stressors that they experience with those thoughts of self-harm. And you are exactly right to mention that we're seeing higher and higher rates of self-harming behaviors and, and ideations with youth anyway because of the pandemic, because of the inequities, you know, that are occurring in our country, you know, the poverty that's happening, the disparity, the inflation, you know. So all of these factors, you know, there, there are a, a perfect horrible storm that, that's brewing. All the elements are mixing together, and it's really been acerbated in this pandemic. And, you know, we also have real concern over the, the numbers of children caring for uh, family members with long COVID. Um, that's something that we're hoping to look at next because we can just predict that the numbers of youth caregivers, while we already can say from research it's in the millions in this country, but with long COVID, we believe there's a new crop of youth caregivers who've never before been caregivers, but now because their loved one is experiencing long COVID, they're now uptaking a caregiving role. And we wonder about the mental health impacts from that experience as well. Um, I think the final thing I'll say about mental health um, is you asked me also about the long-term impacts. So we have some colleagues that are also looking at PTSD in relation mm -hmm. to youth caregiving um, because, you know, even to think about my family experience, it was catastrophic what happened. Um, so um, it's, it's really traumatic what many of these young people are going, what their families are going through. And so, we're, so what we see is the, the hyper, um, hypervigilance, that's, you know, a facet of PTSD, the flashbacks, the, um, the anxiety. Um, those are elements that uh, we're hoping, with, you know, to actually get those findings published that we can start making connections to. It, it's not just anxiety and depression, which are horrible enough on its own, but really long-term impacts we're seeing um, because of the trauma that families are yes. going through. Oh, my goodness. Dr. Phelan, I was going to ask you, oh, I love you. I was going to ask you uh, about if um, young caregivers, if they do have caregiver post-traumatic stress disorder, because I know as an adult, I have that. I have caregiver post-traumatic stress. And, mm -hmm. you know, with my mother-in-law, I had it. But back then, I'm going to say 18 years ago when I went to a counselor, I was told there's no such thing. Now they're recognizing mm -hmm. it, and I'm very mm -hmm. grateful they're mm -hmm. recognizing it because it is real, mm -hmm. folks. And if mm -hmm. we have it as adults, then think of the children, the young adults, the teenagers. My heart goes out to them because... I'm a big mental health advocate, Dr. Failing. I've talked about mental mm -hmm. health for a long, long time. 
And we need to, um, you know, stop the stigma of surrounding mental health issues and to tell our children, you know what, tell me, you know, if you need help, if you, I'll take you. Sometimes children are embarrassed to tell their parents or guardians that they are struggling. Um, you know, look for the, the signs of, of struggling and we all need help at some point. And you know what I hope changes, Dr. Failing. I get on my soapbox here. We need to change how we are raising our boys. Please, people, stop telling your sons or your nephews to man up, suck it up, that it's weak to cry. It is not a weakness to cry. It's not. Whether you're a man or woman, boy, girl, whatever you associate yourself with being, it is okay to cry. We're emotional human beings. And you know what I did not like, Dr. Failing? I did not like mm-hmm. people telling my son and myself to be strong when Matt was dying. How mm-hmm. do you be strong mm-hmm. when you're watching your father mm-hmm. die? Um, this right. is what has to change. And, um, you know, I, I say that my, <laughs> my megaphone, <laughs> my show is my megaphone to the world to try to change. Uh, we need to stop saying that to people, men, women, boys, girls, um, just stop saying that to people because we cannot be strong 24-7. That puts mm-hmm. a, a stress on us. Oh, mm-hmm. I have to put on the strong front. And then your kid gets a anxiety and a nervous breakdown. Or the caregiver, mm-hmm. an adult, gets a nervous breakdown because they think they have to be the strong person. How do I know, folks? Because mm-hmm. I almost had a nervous breakdown thinking that I had mm-hmm. to be the superwoman wearing a cape. So I know what I'm talking about because I know what I experienced. And as you can tell, I'm very, you know, passionate about it because we just have to stop this. I call it this old school nonsense. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm curious about something. Is it different because you did a study on adolescents in Europe? Is it different? Do you see a difference there versus the United States as far as how young caregivers are treated or how they respond to being a caregiver? Yeah. Um, so what I see um, primarily is the lack of awareness here in the U.S. Um, because the U.S. is about 20 to 30 years behind England, um, and I'll use England specifically, not all of Europe, um, in terms of the policy supportive programs and um, research that's dedicated to youth caregivers. So that's why I went over there to study. Uh, So what we see is just because of that lack of societal awareness that children can be caregivers, um, that has a really a ripple effect to their education, to their career aspirations, to their mental and physical health. So because we're not aware that children can be caregivers in our country, that means that when we're professionals, when we're the adults, we're not having an eye to look out for them in terms of then pinpointing them to support. So that's what I would see primarily is that general just lack of awareness and the effect that that would give them. So, so for example, um, a youth caregiver may be a child who is very sleepy in class because they were up all night doing caregiving or they were up very early in the morning doing caregiving tasks. 
They may be the child that's absent or tardy. Um, they may be the child who gets out their cell phone because they need to check and make sure that things are okay at home. Um, but all of those things can work to how they present as in a problem child, as a naughty child in a classroom. And if we, we are not aware as professionals, educators, et cetera, all of our different you know, role titles that we have, that um, children can be doing this at home, then we, when we see behaviors that seem um, you know, antisocial or negative, um, we can respond inappropriately. So we really want to, because I love teachers. My fiance is a teacher. And we do a lot of work with our project in terms of educating educators about recognizing the signs of youth caregivers um, because they're busy and they have so many children in their classroom. But I'm grateful um, when I was in college, I had a professor who noticed that something was not right with me, pulled me aside after class, and asked me a simple question of, what is going on with you? You are not yourself. And that opened up the door for me to tell that professor about the caregiving that was going on with my mother. My mother was in the hospital while I was um, studying for exams, and I would take my books over and sit at her bedside at the hospital and then go to class. You know, so all of that was going on, and no one, no one knew. But so I was so grateful for that one part, that educator to stop and say, what's going on with you? Because they were able to, to get me connected to counseling services, which is what I needed. I needed a therapist to talk about what was going on. So yes. Uh, I really, yes, I really encourage those of us who are in positions uh, working on the front lines with youth to ask questions. If you see something that doesn't seem right, ask them what's going on at home. Find out if anybody's ill. Has anything changed in their family circumstances? Uh, and since we're in the time of the pandemic, does anybody have COVID and, and just hasn't quite gotten better yet? They may, that may be a reason, you know, they may be uptaking caregiving going on at home, not, just not simply acting out or, or you know, having low performance in school. There may be other reasons um, for why they're not doing well. That is a, a great point uh, of teachers to, to be aware if a student is showing signs of um, struggling. Uh, we need to be made aware of that. Um, Dr. Lewis, you are just uh, I'm so privileged to be talking to you. Um, I wish I could hug you in person. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I say this um, over and over again, and I'm, I'm going to say it again. Um, I am from New Jersey. I'm my father's daughter. I get a little harsh. I serve it up Jersey style. I feel this <laughs> way, Dr. Bailey. When a parent or guardian cuts off communication from their child, or who they're in charge of, that child is going to go to somewhere else to get advice, to get comfort, and it may not be an ideal situation. And even though we're going through our own hard time as adults, I was struggling. But I wanted to make sure that my son was okay. Check in with your, ch your children and talk to them. Let them come to you to vent. It's so, so important. And it's really, I, I can't express enough or say it enough how important it is. Now, my son, Josh, has a cognitive disability, but he understood 
about caregiving. He understood more about Alzheimer's than so-called intelligent people, I could tell you that. Uh, he's, um, he was great with his dad. And I can't thank you uh, enough, Dr. Faye Lewis, for what you're doing to raise awareness and your advocacy for young caregivers. This really touches my heart uh, profoundly because I have always felt that the children, as I said before, are the hidden victims of caregiving, whether it's dementia or another um, illness or if it's, you know, disability of some sort, because we tend to forget that our children are going through what we're going through, and they may not mm-hmm. tell us. They may be mm-hmm. embarrassed. They may be afraid of judgment. And so then what are they going to do? Um, I am... I'm, I know I've said this already, I am a huge mental health advocate. And I'm grateful for the pandemic that it brought mental health to the forefront mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. more people, celebrities, sports stars, are saying it's okay to need help. It's okay to go for help. This should have always been that way. And yeah. I hope it's, it becomes more acceptable and I, I know I say this all the time, don't judge people because they go for help. You don't know what life has in store for you. How are you going to handle a curveball when it's thrown your way? Nobody should ever judge anyone for going for help. Um, it's not a weakness, folks. It, it's, it's actually it's the strength to say, you know what, I can't deal with this. I need help. Um, and and it's, it's okay. I still go for counseling. I'm not ashamed to say it. I have caregiver post-traumatic, like I said before. I go for grief counseling. Mm-hmm. I'm doing much better. But you know what? I highly suggest grief counseling for when that child loses their parent, grandparent, or, or whoever they're taking care of. Don't tell that child not to grieve. Don't tell that child to be strong. That's wrong in my book. Because when... Children are told they can't express themselves. They're going to have problems. It's going to bite them, just like adults. It comes back to bite us. Um, and I can't help it that I get carried away. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I fully agree. I'm so, I'm so happy to hear you. You use an be an advocate and use that strong voice that you have because um, I think it's so important. So I just I'm just sitting here going here here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you, Dr. Faye Lewis. I so appreciate you coming on. I know you're a busy, busy, busy woman, um, and taking the time to come on my show and talk about what you're doing. And folks, you have to go on Dr. Faye Lewis's website. Dr. Faye, can you please give your website? And they will be in the blog, folks. Okay, it is www.drfaylinlewis, so that's F-E-Y-L-Y-N-L-E-W-I-S dot com. And how can people connect with you other than your uh, website if you would like for people to connect with you? I would love to be connected with, with all of you all out there. Um, I am reachable certainly through my website. I have a contact page where you can set up a meeting with me. Uh, you can also reach out to me on Twitter. I love to tweet about relevant issues concerning youth caregivers. 
Uh, again, Dr. Phelan Lewis on Twitter, that's my handle. And we can start the conversation. And I'm so excited to meet with you all virtually and on social media and just discuss this issue and continue to amplify the experiences of youth caregivers. Together, we can create real change in this country. Yes, I agree. Uh, amen. I just uh, see folks, I do. I get excited. Uh, this is me. I get excited when I meet people who are passionate about caring for others. And the reason why I have chatting with Betsy is because I want to provide people with resources. Dr. Fabian Lewis is a wonderful resource. And to know that people are not alone. And we all feel that we are alone in how we feel, but we're not. And, you know, my heart goes out to young caregivers. They might think they're all alone. Here is Dr. Fabian Lewis with research. I would contact her. Do you do therapy? Are you just licensed in Tennessee? Or do you coaching? Yeah. Um, I don't practice. Yeah, I no, I no longer practice as a therapist. Um, but certainly, you know, what I've learned in my training is something that I end up using in daily life <laughs> and certainly <laughs> my mental health advocacy work. Um, but, yes, I, I don't practice. Uh, so I would certainly, though, be able to signpost um, other people to therapists if they need that. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So people could, so you could guide them to a, a resource. Absolutely. Oh, terrific, Absolutely. terrific. Absolutely. Oh, great. And I know you're on LinkedIn. Can I put LinkedIn down? I know you're, yeah, yeah. you're yeah, on there. Okay. I think it's the same handle. So I think Dr. Phelan Lewis is how to find me on LinkedIn as well. So I'm on all the platforms oh, okay. except TikTok. <laughs> I, oh. I need to get on TikTok. I think all the young people on TikTok, so I need to learn it too. <laughs> I can't even figure out Instagram. Forget about TikTok for me. <laughs> And I don't, I don't have Twitter um, either. I have enough trouble keeping up with LinkedIn and my own page. And um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm a um, so middle-aged woman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, there, there is. And folks, Dr. Phelan Lewis did three um, or four publications and uh, much more. Go on the website and read them because I couldn't even get into all that with this interview, but very interesting um, articles that you might, I uh, know not that you might, you will find helpful. And have your, your if you have a young um, caregiver, have them read it. Why not? And I just want to thank you, Dr. Phelan Lewis, for what you're doing and um, best of wishes to you. And I'd love to have you on again in the future because you are just so awesome. So thank you for spending thank time you. with me. Oh, thank you, Betsy. You have just been an absolute delight from, begin from the beginning. So I'm so grateful for the work that you do. This is so necessary, so needed. Your voice is absolutely valuable and critical during this time. So it is a mutual respect. <laughs> right back uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you, Dr. Lewis. That means the, the world to me. Uh, folks, if you um, – would please share the show to help someone. You know someone who has a young caregiver? Are you a young caregiver? Then please share this show because you know what? I, I said this just yesterday or the day before, and I'm going to say it again. When you have information that can help people and you don't share it, that's being selfish. I'm very direct. I'm straight up. 
That's being selfish. Don't be selfish. Share. As I kids say in the, in the preschool I used to go to uh, work at, sharing is caring. So please share this show to help other people because that's my mission and vision is to help people, provide people with resources to make their life easier. And that's the purpose of Chatting with Betsy. And it is free to subscribe. I'm on Amazon Music, Spreaker, iHeart. You can listen to my show on PassionateWorldTalkRadio.com. And please read the blog, which will have information about Dr. Fainley Lewis and her website. And I want to thank Jeannie White, who's station manager, Passion World Talk Radio, who produces the show, writes the blog. And thank you to Lillian Caldwell, CEO of Passion World Talk Radio, who makes this all possible. And thank you to you, the audience, for listening, subscribing, and sharing. Um, when you share, you're helping me carry, carry on Matt's legacy. So I promised him that I would carry on. So thank you for helping me to carry on. That's like a thing. Dick choked up. <laughs> and um, as I always say at the end of my show, in a world where you can be anything, to so please be kind, shine your light bright. Just if we were kind and shined our light, it would be a brighter, happier world. And that's what I believe. So take care, folks. Until we chat again, this is Betsy Wurzel, your host of Chatting with Betsy on Passionate World Talk Radio. Bye-bye now. <laughs>